Hello and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Glad to worship with you this morning. My name is Dan, one of the pastors here. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Old Testament. The first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 8, is our text this morning. So locate Genesis chapter 8. Good to be with all of you today. Thank you, uh, Pastor Bradley, for uh, helping us just with uh, knowing how to fill out those cards. That, That is a family piece that is so important and grateful for the opportunity to send a note to you if you fill out one of those cards. Um, but we need, we need each other. We need each other. Did your favorite team win last, uh, last yesterday? Your team won, okay. Well, the thing that I know is the teams that work together win together. Teams that love each other um, end up lasting to the end of the season. You've heard of the acrostic in the past. I've, I've used this before uh, for, the, for the, you know, the word team. Together, everyone accomplishes more. You're part of a team. Together, everyone accomplishes more. Today, I want to give you another meaning for the acrostic team. It's simply this. Train everyone as ministers. Part of the reason that we're here today is so that we can uh, train everyone as, as ministers. Uh, That is an important part um, why you're here today. You're part of this team. We're training everyone as ministers. You have a mission, a ministry, a purpose, a purpose that God gave you. It's an important purpose. You were born on purpose. You were not an accident. I don't care what the um, situation was uh, when when you came into being. You were not born on um, as an accident, it's an important mission, a God-sized, God-ordained mission that you're on. And, and it, we have to complete this mission. We have, we're, we're on this mission. God has called us, and we have the opportunities to, um, in, in this day to, to accomplish that mission. And when I think about that, this is the time now where we're on mission. We'll have eternity to enjoy the benefits of, of, of what happens the exploits of the mission. But for now, it's time to complete the mission. And have, I, the question this morning is, have you been thinking about that recently? Have you thought recently about the mission that God has you on? The mission, clearly, for a Christian is someone who, who, who makes disciples, who is leading other people to follow Christ. That's the mission you're on. We're here. We huddle up. We talk about uh, the truth of God's word, but when we break huddle, the point is you go out, you run that mission. Your mission is to lead people to follow Christ. Who did you lead to follow Christ this week? So say, listen, Pastor, um, I want you to, you know, take that one hour that I have on Sunday morning and you make me feel good. No, I'm here to train you as a minister. Someday you and I are going to stand, by the way, from last week, I don't think we have a cotton picking clue how big a deal it is, someday we are all marching to the judge. We are on our way to the courthouse. We're going to stand before God. And I'm trying to help prepare you to stand before an almighty judge who knows all things all the time, right? And so we need to be trained as ministers. We need to be faithful to do what God, you know, the thing I don't like as a parent is when I tell my kids to do something, I come back and it's not done. I don't know about you, but that does not make me happy. Um, I I don't get all warm and fuzzy, great feelings about, oh man, um, this is great because a a kid didn't do what I asked him to do. We are God's kids. We're on this mission. We have this purpose. Let's get it done, right? Um, Don't you want to see something happen in our church? Don't you want to see something happen in your family? Don't you want to see something happen in your neighborhood? Don't you want to see something happen in in our community that God does? And you want to be a part of that. And you are a part of that. You're a minister. Woo! Right? Right? that's who you are. And so, um, in fact, this morning, I just want you to turn to somebody and say, I'm going to listen to what God says, and so should you. Do that. Tell them. I'm, I'm going to listen to what God says, and you should too, right? Don't go too far with that. <clears throat> Our sermon series we started a few weeks ago is called Praxis, filling the gap between theology 
and practice. This might help. That's my wife. She's pretty. She helped me with water. <clears throat> I'm not sure this is going to help, but she brought it. I'm drinking it, all right? Filling the gap between theology and practice. What we know and what we do. I don't think it does us much good to be informed or educated beyond our level of obedience. Let's take what we know and let's put it into practice. Um, not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And so we're talking about reality rather than theory. The word orthos from orth orthodoxy um, literally means straight. The word doxa is a correct belief, so straight belief, orthodoxy. Orthopractice is a straight um, uh, behavior. So orthodoxy emphasizes correct belief. Orthopraxy emphasizes correct behavior. We've talked about that um, the weeks that I've preached. Correct belief that leads to correct behavior. You say, here's the thing about that. Say, so listen, there, there are times when in, in learning, uh, any person on a team you, you, you come on the team, and you learn the rules of the, the sport. You rule the rules of the game. Each team has its own things. And so I'm concerned about um, making sure that, that my, what I'm doing, my practice, is, is, is uh, lined up to, to what, you know, the, the captain said or the team, you know, the coach has said. When it comes to following Christ, there is a measure of that, okay? And there's God's Word is a light and a lamp to my feet and my path. However... One of the things that happens is it goes from uh, Christianity is not a set of rules to say, listen, here's what I have to do, and here's what I have to do, and here's what I have to do. But based on who God is and the change that he's made in my life, there's things that, that naturally change. There's, there's, there's uh, the obedience that comes from a, from a heart that has been changed. And that is why it's absolutely crucial to have correct doctrine. We sang about our doctrine, what we believe. And that his, his, the blood of Jesus Christ changes me. And when he's changed me, it begins to change my practice. So it's not a set of rules that I'm following. It's, it's a Savior who I'm following, and I want to be more like him. And the closer I am to him and the more I am like him, the more my actions and my attitudes are, are reflected to people. My witness becomes the same as, as what I say I believe, right? That's what we're after. That's called spiritual maturity. That's called growth in grace, we're not following a list of rules and to-dos. It's, I want to be so close to Jesus, I want to be as much like Christ as I can be. And he does that work in us. We allow him, we submit ourselves to him. Through the power and the work of his Holy Spirit, he works within us. In fact, James says it this way, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Here's a question. Here's a Sunday morning question for you. Are you guilty of sin? Are you guilty of sin? Are there things that you know to do, but you aren't doing them? The other side of sin, are there things that you know you should not do, but you continue to do them? Are you guilty of sin? Can I say to you this morning, you can be free from the guilt of sin. Well, how can I be free from the guilt of sin? Well, confession. You have to agree with God that sin is sin. So listen, God... So you say, Lord, is there something in my life? You'd put your finger on and say, That's not, that doesn't line up with your word or your will. God, is there something you've, been, you've spoken to me? By the way, there's, there's a thing that are called biblical absolutes. There's biblical principles in Scripture that are true for everyone. There are also um, things that, that may be personal convictions that you have. It might be the person sitting next to you can do something that you can't do, but if God has personally convicted you of something, say, listen, that's something you can, there's some things I can't do in my life that you might be able to. There's some things I might be able to do that you can't. So uh, you understand personal convictions, you also understand biblical absolutes, all right? But you can be free from the guilt of sin with confession. You simply agree, God, that's something you want a part of my life and I'm not doing, or God, that's something you don't want a part of my life, but I am doing it. So confession of that. You agree with God. Repentance is turning from that sin. That's the action piece. Repentance literally means to turn and go the other direction. Jesus looked at a woman who was in adultery, and he forgave her, and he said, sin and, you know, do, do no more sin. So repentance. Obedience, sin no more. 
then we're free from the guilt of sin. If you're guilty of transgressing the known will of God in your life, settle that right now. God, you can ask God to forgive you, and, and he will. Confess that sin, receive God's grace and mercy, right? Commit to follow God's word and God's will. Scripture says that if you resist Satan, he will flee from you. I don't always understand that in the sense that I, I, Satan is not someone who, um, you know, you don't, don't take Satan on. Don't, don't challenge or, 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 or attempt to take him on. He'll whoop your butt. At the same time, Scripture says, if you stand not in the power of your own strength, but in the power of, of Christ within you, you can take your stand against Satan's schemes, and he will flee. Resist him, and he will flee. So it's not in your own strength, but through the power of God's strength in you, you can say no to evil. By the way, you know that when you turn evil around, the word evil, it means live. I've told you that. I've reminded you of that many times. You can turn evil around in your life through confession and repentance acceptance of Christ. Once we were dead in the evil life of sin, now we're alive from evil to live. Uh, Praxis is our sermon series, and we're talking, these last weeks we've been, that was, you know what, you got that just because you came. You got that just because you came. We started our series off by talking about small things that make a a big difference. We talked about a proper view of self and situations. We talked about keeping the main things the main things. Last week, we talked about not putting off, about procrastination. Don't put off until tomorrow what can be done today. How many of you were guilty of procrastination this week, right? Yeah. So what'd you do about it, right? Um, today, we're talking about making good decisions, there's some things we can do um, to help us keep in step with God's word and God's will and the leading of the Holy Spirit. We, there are things that we can do to make good decisions. Do you know that decisions determine destiny? Decisions that you make, um, many decisions together, uh, th- those things have profound implications. So we make decisions, and then eventually our decisions make us, right? Have you ever faced a decision that you were afraid to make? So listen, wow, this is one, I've got to make a decision on this, um, you know, maybe a deadline's coming up, you know that you're going to have to, you have to make a call one way or the other, you're going to have to, you're going to have to make a decision, there's a, there's a point, there's a, maybe it's a, uh, it could be a good decision, could be a difficult decision, but you know you're going to have to make a decision. What are the things that you can do um, to, to help make good decisions? Were you at a point where you decided, you know, you had to decide something and you knew that it would alter the course of your life or the life of someone else for the foreseeable future? So here, here's what I know and I've seen played, this played out over and over and over again. And it's at that point in many people's lives that some people either seem to succeed or they tend to fail. The ability to make good decisions. It's like people, they, they continue, you're around them, it's just like they, time after time after time. Um, it doesn't matter what situation in, you, you can count on them to make a good decision. It just, it just seems like when they, they process everything and they, they, the things that they you know, uh, are seeing and reading, interpreting, and, and they come up with the right decision. And then there's other people who follow a process of decision-making, and they tend to blow it every time. The, op- the opposite is true. Some people seem to come to a decision time for whatever reason, and the process is faulty, and they habitually make the wrong decision. So this morning, we want to take a look at that process of making good decisions. What is included, and what can I learn that will help me make some crucial decisions, all right? So filling the gap between theology and practice, Genesis 6. If you, if you have looked at Genesis chapter 8 as our text, but if you looked at verses chapter 6, 7, and 8, you understand um, that six chapters into God's creation, God has created heaven and earth and said it was all good, six chapters in, and he is so upset with all of humanity that he decides to wipe them out. Six, six lousy chapters. That's all it took for God to say, listen, these people, have, they are, now there's covers a period of years and generations, but things are bad. 
In fact, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, God regretted, it says God regretted that he made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. There was a mess. Things were bad when God regrets making human beings. Indeed, the situation was that every inclination of the human heart was evil all the time. The world, Scripture described it there as being corrupt, um, and violence ruled the land. The world was corrupt, and violence ruled ruled the land. Taking just enough time to mention that uh, that the world we live in right now seems to fit that bill. That hearts are evil, lots of corruption, and violence in the land. It, it sounds a lot like the, the world we live in. But let me just also remind you of something else, my dear Christian friends. There is, if you're in the news business, bad news is what makes the business, right? So much of what you hear is bad news. I'm still telling you that there's more good news in the world today than there is bad. Somebody, somebody should raise their hand and say, that's the way it is. There is good news. There's, we are hearing, the, the news business is in the business of bad news. That's why it's news. Somebody got shot, somebody got murdered, somebody stole something, somebody had an affair, this went down, that went down. That's news. That's the gossip little piece that, that all you all love, right? And you say that, well, you guys are quiet today. You are like that. Yeah, I'm telling you. It's how it is, right? Admit it. Lighten up, you know. Goodness. Missionary church people are tight. Not even always honest, especially when they're in church. I'm telling you, that's how it is. You love bad news. There's more good news going on. Those of you that are just all concerned about everything bad that's happened, you know what? Of the three bad things you might hear of happens in the schools, I'm telling you there's a hundred great things that are going on. Just the way it is. You say, oh man, there was one, one bad thing that somebody did. I'm telling you, there's a hundred people that are doing the right thing. You got that today just because you came too. Whew. Sometimes it's hard to determine what is the Holy Spirit and, one, and what is just getting loose. I don't know. I'm doing my best here. Genesis chapter 6, God was not happy with the world. Now at that point, he said things were bad. The only person God saved was Noah and his family. And the way God saved Noah was that he instructed Noah to build an ark, cypress wood covered in pitch. 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 feet cubits height. Uh, had a roof. It wasn't an open bow vessel. It had a door. It had a, a, a lower level. It had a mid-level. Um, it had a, an upper deck. Um, and, and God said he would flood the earth. You know the story of the flood. And Noah and his family would be safe in the ark. God told Noah to build a rescue boat. And that's what he did. A rescue boat. By the way, if you're looking for a word picture of what a church is, and if you've been through Starting Point, you'll know that one of the word pictures we use for the church is rescue boat, not cruise ship. So, you know, people say, well, you know, preachers, you need, again, you need to make us feel good. Um, I'm here not to make you feel good. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm here to train everyone as a minister. I'm also telling you that we're not on a cruise ship. We're on a rescue ship, sometimes a warship, a battleship, because there's, there's spiritual battles that we're on. We're, we're on a rescue ship. God said to Noah, because I want you to build a rescue ship. And, and in fact, it's going to rescue your family. And then he said, in addition to that, there's some living creatures that, you know, and it took a good bit of time. Some scholars say it took 120 years. Some say maybe a little less time was noted. No doubt he had people who helped him, and no doubt there were people who were making fun of him. There's no rain around. There's no flood. We haven't had this 500-year flood that everyone's talked about. There's no flood coming. What are you doing, Noah? You're building this huge ark. What is that all about? You're saying it's so that, you know, that there's God sending a flood. We, we don't hear any, you know, we've, we've checked the, the weather forecast. It doesn't seem like that to us. 
for year after year, time after time, person after person. Remember, he was in a bolt building process long before there was a sprinkle of rain. And, and, and you know what? There's going to be times in your life when you have to make a decision to follow God's will and other people are going to laugh at you. And they might laugh at you for a long time. Your decision to follow Jesus Christ may be a laughing matter to some people. Say, listen, generations have come and gone. We live, we die, it's all over with, no big deal. Like I said last week, we are all marching to the judge. We are all headed to the courthouse. We're going to stand in front of the judge. If you and I were smart, we'd, we'd cut a deal before we get there and get the wrath of the judge. There's the gospel that we ought to, we say, listen, there is a, there is a deal you can cut before you have to stand before the judge. And the only one that will save you from, from destruction is the blood of Jesus Christ. So not only does he have a standard, but he provided a way out. And people are going to laugh at your decision from time to time. They're going to say, look, you're crazy. Noah, you're nuts, right? In chapter 7, God also told Noah to onload onto the ark two of all living creatures, food for them all. Noah was a crazy prepper dude. Uh, he took food for animals. Now, and, and, and when we think about this, and you measure this whole thing out time-wise, uh, they were on there for over a year. Uh, you, all, the, all the delays, all the wait this, wait that, they were there for a long time. Several pairs of clean animals. It's interesting, in chapter, uh, chapter 7 it talks about that. Several pairs of clean animals, um, and we'll see why in a little bit, because at the end, when, God, uh, when the water receded, God opened the door, had Noah open the door of the ark, and they walked out. He built an altar, and he had to have a sacrifice, and so he, he took some of the clean animals and offered a sacrifice. Couldn't have done that. Couldn't have had a pleasing sacrifice if he'd used dirty animals, unclean animals. So he took extras of those. Um, he took, um, so, um, several pairs of clean animals and male and female versions of each animal or, or species type. I guess God made them. He knew how he created things and how things work. And the purpose of that was that after the flood, everything on the earth perished except what was in the ark. And God wanted his creation to be fruitful, to increase in number, and fill the earth. And so he, he had Noah save those on the ark. Uh, all, they were on the rescue ship. All the people that were saved, all the animals, they were on the ark, Noah and his family. Now, the rain begins to fall. For 40 days and 40 nights, it rained. Noah and his family um, are safe in the ark. Specific instructions on what Noah was supposed to do in chapter 6 and chapter 7, raining all those days... It says for 150 days, finally the water raised to a level higher than the highest mountain. There's, there's nothing on the earth showing, no mountain peaks showing, and it remained there for 150 days. The great flood in Genesis 6 makes Hurricane, Hurricane Ian look like an afternoon sprinkle. But after the flood, again, only Noah and everyone on the ark, all the animals on the ark were with him. Um, and, and so it was 10 months later, until the water receded enough, the tops of the mountains began to stick out of the water. Next, the wind began to blow, and the water receded, and the earth began to dry. You see in chapter 8, and, and I want to pick up the reading there in verse 6. Genesis 8, verse 6. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark, and he sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. And then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could, not, could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand. He took the dove. He brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there was in its beak a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again. This time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's six hundred. And first year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark, saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, of the earth was completely dry. And then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives and all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark one kind after another. And then Noah, I love that song we used to sing as kids. You know, God said to Noah, go build me an arky-arky. Um, 
God said to Noah, go, you know, build it out of gopher barky barky. Um, what was another verse? Um, God said, you know, uh, bring the animals, um, uh, bring them in by twosies, twosies. Um, so, you know, he brought them in twosies, twosies. Uh, and then the last verse, we used to snicker as kids. Uh, the animals, um, they all went out as threesies, threesies. They sure knew their birds and beesies, beesies, you know. <clears throat> well, there's no evidence of that. Um, but the animals went out, and, and, but with a purpose, you know, to multiply, to increase in number, um, to, to be fruitful. And then verse 20 Noah built an ark to the Lord, taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds. He sacrificed burnt offerings on it, and the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. So that doesn't change anything. That's, that's, that's the reason why we, you know, um, we, we were born with a sin problem. From, from you know, every, every human being ever lived on the face of the earth except for Christ who had a, you have to have a, a biological father some, somehow, some way. Christ was born of a virgin. He didn't inherit the sin problem. Every one of us have in, inherited it from our, from our father, okay? It's, it's, it's the human nature. He said every heart, every inclination of the heart, human heart is evil from childhood. It's because of the fall. That's, that's you know, Genesis you know, seven is the flood. That's the whole earth. If you look at the fall, it took even less chapters, you know, uh, for, for Adam and Eve to, to sin against God in the fall. And from there on, we have been dealing with the curse of the fall. And the things that are happening in the world, by the way, what is interesting is Noah, by the way, lived for a lot of years. I mean, he's 600 some years old here, whatever, uh, lives another 300 some years, maybe, you know, 900 some years, something like that. Um, what is interesting is that there's a point where uh, human life became shorter and shorter. I mean, there were some things that happened, and God said, okay, listen, I've had, I've had enough of these 900-year-old folk, you know, carrying on all this time. And so at some point, what, but when, when I think about that, there's, in my mind, I also see the effects of the fall. The effects of the fall, the suckage is downward. There's a spiraling, it, it, mul- uh, um, multiplying effect. The world we live in is not getting better, and it's not going to get better, okay, because of the, the curse of the fall. We've had more years to perfect the curse, and the hearts are desperately wicked. Scripture says that from, from childhood, you don't, have to, you don't have to teach a child to do something wrong. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. You don't have to teach a child to, to, um, um, you know, to think about themselves and to steal something from another kid or uh, you know, all of those things. You have to do the opposite. And one of the problems that we have in the world today is we don't have enough people teaching the opposite. We need some moms and some dads and some grandparents and people and everyone together working to, 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 to teach the opposite, right? Stay on course. So <clears throat> that's what happened. Now, so... And he said, from here on, he goes, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And then in chapter 9, there's that promise and that covenant that God says, listen, you want, here's the sign of the covenant. He said, you know, water, um, rain, flood, clouds in the sky. He said, I'm going I'm to set a rainbow there. Every time you see a rainbow, it's tied to Genesis chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 during the flood. And God says, I'm going to promise I'm never going to destroy the earth again by water like this. And that's the promise of God. And that thing's still flying in the clouds today. Right? Another 40 days goes by. Noah opens a window and releases a raven. Now, what does that mean? So here's a raven that flew around until it had a place to land. But a raven um, would be a, considered a dirty animal. A, a raven w- w- would be something. So a raven, a raven would, flo- would land on a floating dead carcass of a, of a dead animal that died in the flood. It was dirty. Later, Noah released a dove. That's a clean animal. It wouldn't land on a dead carcass, but it couldn't find a place to perch, so it came back to him. Another week passed, Noah sends out the, the, the dove again. It returns. It had an olive leaf in its beak. So Noah knew that, 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 that things were beginning to recede. 
Another week passes and Noah releases the dove again. It returned, and, and that time it didn't return, meaning that the land was, in ha- was, was um, now habitable, that, that, that there was a, a point where this, this dove wasn't just going to have life you know, and, and, a, and a place to, to perch, but was going to be able not just to survive, but to thrive. All that time, God told Noah not to come out of the ark. Finally, he, he did. In verse 18, God said, it's time to open. He opened the door. He wants to come out of the ark. And it says, Noah built an altar, and he sacrificed some of the clean animals on it. The Lord was pleased with the sacrifice, and he made that promise. Let me, let me just stop long enough to, to connect a dot for you. Some of you are aware of, some of you aren't that a sacrifice was, was required, um, and, and the sacrifice had to be a clean animal. Again, God, when he was talking to, to Noah, he, he provided for that. He, he had multiple clean animals, multiple doves. God knew all that. Uh, Noah was obedient to that. He, there's a decision he made. I'm going to follow God's word, his will. He did that. That followed through. So that when the doors were opened and he built an altar, he had, he had you know, a, a clean animals to sacrifice. Otherwise, you know, if you, if you sacrifice the clean animals that were in the ark, you know, how are they going to you know, multiply, reproduce, and all that kind of thing? So that's what happened. Now, it, you look at the Old Testament law, a sacrifice had to be perfect. Here's the part of the gospel where Christ was the perfect sacrifice uh, without spot or, spot or, or blemish. He, he was sinless. He didn't have an earthly father. That's the importance of the virgin birth. He didn't have an earthly father. He didn't have a sin nature. And so now here he is, a perfect sacrifice for sin. When, when, when a sacrifice is required for our sin, it was a perfect sacrifice. Christ was that. In the Old Testament, a perfect animal. So sacrifices for sin, perfect animals. Now, um, here's where you know, some history and some geography come into play. You know that um, since the days of Abraham, the boys, the brothers, Ishmael and Isaac, have been fighting. Ishmael um, was Abraham's son, as was Isaac, but Ishmael was born to Sarah's concubine, her, 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 her maidservant. And so there's that son. They, they kind of took matters into their own hand. Here they are, well beyond childbearing age, and so they said, we're, we're in trouble. And so um, Sarah, Abraham's wife, um, they said, well, I'll, you know, have a child with my, with my uh, servant, my slave, and, and at least Abraham, you'll have, you'll have a descendant. Well, little do they know that years, you know, t- time passes, and Abraham and Sarah, well beyond childbirth age, have a son, Isaac. So now you've got, uh, uh, you got two bees in one bonnet. You got two women who were both saying, you know, um, I, I bore your son, I bore your son. And at some point, uh, Abraham's wife was having none of it. They sent Ishmael and his mother, Hagar, away. And, um, and, and so those boys have been fighting ever since. They're still fighting today. Um, turn on the news, they're fighting, right? And one of the places they're fighting over is the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. Interesting enough, a few years ago, a uh, former administration... Um, declared, you know, with the embassy in uh, Jerusalem, and, and, and um, Jerusalem was identified, recognized as the capital of Israel, and all of that taking place. There's other things that happened, but most recently that. Um, and there's movement forward to put uh, a temple there at the Dome of the Rock um, in Jerusalem. The problem is the Muslims consider that one of their most holy places as well, and the Jews do, and they're fighting over a chunk of land, right? And that's why missiles fly from time to time, okay? That's what's going on. Well, in order to have a temple, and the Israelites, there's, there's talk more about them building that now, and that's going to cause a massive political uh, uh, and religious war. Uh, there's, there's, there's tumult coming over that. That's going to happen, but... They're getting ready to build this thing, and in order to have a, a, a temple, there has to be a perfect sacrifice, all right? There has to be a perfect sacrifice. In fact, Scripture, the Old Testament, talks about the ashes of a, of a red heifer um, need to be spread in, 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 in order to be able to consecrate a temple, and there has to be oil, that, um, oil to consecrate, and that all is, is still, um, that, that, that is in place. Well, anyway... Um, 
here's what has happened. The Temple Institute, group advocating the construction of a third temple, reports that five flawless red heifers from Texas arrived in Israel on September 15, 2022. Last month. Five perfect red heifers ended up in Israel. Many people view that event as a fulfillment of prophecy since the acquisition of a red heifer is a major step forward in plans of a new temple. That's interesting. Now, you say, Brother Dan, are you predicting? Nope. Do you know when the Lord's coming? Nope. I'm just saying there's things that are happening right now that the Lord will have to reproduce. If, if this isn't the time moving toward the second coming of Christ, then the Lord's going to have to reproduce those things again at some later point. But there are things that are happening, and some, you know, so we're the church. I don't know how many of you knew that. You have to have perfect red heifers, and they raised some special specifications. They got shipped to Israel, and that happened last month. I don't know how many of you knew that. Some of you did. Things are happening. Anyway, perfect perfect doves or sac um, animals for Noah's sacrifice. All of those things. Let me come back to this. How did Noah make all those decisions? How did he know what to do? How, how, did, how did consistently, uh, conscientiously, um, did Noah make those decisions time after time after time after again in, these, in, this, in this story? There's some things that, allow, that Noah did that allowed him to make good decisions. And, and when everyone else on earth failed and was destroyed, Noah continued to make good decisions. And there's a pattern in his life. And if we could understand that pattern, maybe we could reproduce that in our life and we make good decisions. Let me give it to you quickly. Some making, some making good decisions. First of all, here was a pattern of his life. Some of the things that Noah did to make good decisions. He was willing to witness passionately with God's word. So say, what, what does that mean? Genesis chapter 6, notice verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. He was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. You see, there was this, he was a man who was connected to God. He, was, he said, this is God's word. God came to him. God spoke it to him. God's word, he said, I'm going to do God's word. He was passionate about it. The witness of Noah's life is that he was passionate about God's word. He was a man who was faithful to God. You say, how do I make good decisions? What does that mean? One of the habits of Noah was he was a person who was faithful to God. He took God's word and, and, he, and, he, and he applied it to his life. He said, this is, this is what God's word has said. There's all kinds of things, all kinds of people, all kinds of voices, everything else. He said, but I'm going to focus on God's word. And he was a faithful, blameless man. If you want to learn to make good decisions, one of the things you have to learn to do is to be faithful to God and his word. Noah walked with God regularly. That put him in a place to make good decisions. Noah spent time with his creator. He lived a righteous life. He paid attention to details. He had fellowship with God. Meaning, when you think about fellowship with God, how do you have fellowship with God? One of the ways, as Christians, we have fellowship with God is through prayer. We understand who God is. Prayer is, is me recognizing that, that when I come to God, that he is hearing and, and he's listening, and he can answer prayer that he's real. Um, another way we have fellowship with God is through his word. We, we connect with him. Another way we have fellowship with God is when his spirit lives within us. That's why you and I personally need to know the work, the power, the ministry the, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There are a lot of people who have the word, and they say, listen, I'm committed to God's word, and, and they believe in Jesus Christ, but they're missing the power of the God's Holy Spirit in your life to direct them. You have to witness passionately with God's word. We bring God into the situation. We ask God for help in times of trouble. When, when, when we have opportunities, we have questions, we, we bring God into it. We say, God, I need your wisdom. He said, anyone who lacks wisdom, ask me. I'll give you wisdom. Prayer is the faith that we call on God. He hears and answers. We have the opportunity to pray about all of our decisions. We can read and know God's word. And, and by the way, God, God's will doesn't contradict his word. So much of the world is contradicting God's word. At some point, you have to settle um, what drum you're going to dance, you're, you're going to march to. 
If, if, if you say, listen, I'm, I want some of Jesus and I want some of the world, you're going to be all over the place. Wishy-washy, shilly-shally, up and down, back and forth. You're, you're, you're going to find yourself coming back, you know, all, all kinds of directions. You can know and read God's word. And he was settled on that. He said, listen, here's what God said. Here's what I'm going to do. Noah's witness to the world was he was willing to follow God's word, God's will, no matter what. Jeremiah 29, verse 13 says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. God is not hiding from us. He wants to reveal his word to us. Making good decisions means you have to seek and know God's will and his word. Our witness must be that we seek to honor God in all that we do. If you're going to make decisions, make decisions that honor God. Here's the second thing. Not only do we need to witness passionately with God's word, but we need to work purposely in God's will. And so now, now here's a guy who's, who's, who's following God. His, his, his testimony, his witness, is that he understands God's word. Here's what God told him to do. And, and then he began to follow it. So when God said, listen, I, you need these clean animals in there. You need twos of these, and you need this and that, and you need food for all these, and this, this thing needs to be so high and so forth. I mean, if he'd have built that boat some kind of, he's like, ah, that's too small. Or he built, ah, it's not, it's too big. We have, there's no way we need all that. Or not high enough or, or not wide enough. The thing would have tipped over in the storm. He, he was somebody who was, I'm going to work purposely to fulfill God's will. He was right on track with it. Um, in every case where God told Noah to do something, he did it. He built the ark. He did whatever it took to take the ark, to, to build the ark, do what God told him to do. Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as with working for the Lord, not as human masters. You know, that's, a, that's another thing that is, is so important. Over, over a long period of time, many years to build the ark, he didn't lose focus on what God told him to do. He kept at it. All kinds of opposition came. Um, you know, there was a supply and demand issue, I'm sure. I mean, who needs that much cypress wood? I do. I'm building an ark. Okay? What about the pitch? How are we going to get that? How are we going to make all that? How are we going to seal this thing up? I mean, how... All of those things. And there he was. He, he consistently, he kept on working. He kept on working. Um, he didn't sit around. He persevered. He said, listen, here's what I know God told me to do. Um, you know, where, where are we getting all the sealant? I'm not sure. But God told me, so, oh, okay, well, here comes the sealant. All right, now. So time after time after time, he just worked. Obedience to God is the key. Perseverance. Stick with it. Don't quit. Do your part. Some people have a hard time making decisions because they haven't spent the time down the trenches and they're clueless about what's really going on. Some of the struggle, some of the past experience, some of the things that God's bringing you through are the things that God is, is going to use in your life to, 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 to wise you up so that when you're faced with a difficult situation, you know exactly what to do. So here's one more thing. Wait patiently for God's timing. People who make good decisions are not running around kicking doors open. Can you imagine? It's somewhere early here. Noah says, all right, time to kick the door open. He goes blasting through that door, and, and, and the ark hasn't set down on, the, on the, uh, Mount Ariat. By the way, Mount Ariat, that's modern-day Turkey. If you want to know where that's at? Modern-day Turkey. It comes to a stop. And he goes, all right, not moving anymore. I guess we're going to open the door. No, he, followed, he, he, he waited patiently for God's timing. God's timing. There's times where we're impatient with God. There's times where we try to manipulate God. We try to get God to say all kinds of stuff. There's times we attempt, you know, when we need to wait until we have a measure of peace. When you make a decision, there's times you make a decision, and then, and, and, and literally, um, this has happened to me numerous times. Listen, I know I need to make a decision. And let's say my decision has to land by Thursday. I make a decision on Tuesday. I say, I got to make a decision here. And, and then you, you, you begin to wait for peace and say, listen, boy, I can't sleep. This doesn't work. I, can't, I, I, I think that's wrong. God's, God's, you know, that's not right. And so you have a chance to kind of back up from it. But you make a decision, and, and, and then there's some peace. And God was, was talking to, to Noah. And, and, and what is interesting, when a dove comes back with um, you know, a, 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 a branch, a leaf, um, that's peace. There's, there, there's, there's peace that comes. So listen. It's an extended of olive branch. When you extend an olive branch to someone, it's a, you're extending some kind of peace. And here comes this, this um, dove back with, with 
you know, an olive branch. But that wasn't the first time. The, the raven was out. The, the dove went out once, came back, came the second time. It's timing. It's timing. So the ark had one door, apparently had windows. And folks, it's not your job to kick all the doors open. Sometimes God just needs to open a window. Genesis 8, 6, another 40 days, Noah opened the windows he'd made in the boat. What are some of the windows? People have identified some of the windows, those opportunities. Let me just talk about a few of them. Um, one of the windows, when it comes to decision-making, one of the windows that God has opened is the window of common sense. When you're faced with decisions, use some common sense. If you haven't, if you haven't heard that as a little kid enough that when you're my age, you repeat it over and over again, you haven't heard it enough. Common sense, which isn't too common these days. Common sense. Somebody should tell you, use some common sense. Um, the window of common sense. Um, and and let, me, let me just apply that a little bit, because people say, well, you know, I hear people all the time, you know, preachers too, I'm complaining. People say, well, there's no common sense in the world. Well, who has the common sense? Sometimes the people who've experienced something, and they've gone through it, and they say, oh, here's some common sense that will help you through it. But you know what I found? And, and oftentimes those are people that are experienced and people that are older. But you know what I found out? And I'm, I'm getting older. It's easier to complain than to fix something. It's easier to point out. When you get older, it's easier to look at everything else and say, listen, you got no common sense. Coffee, sit around, a bunch of old guys in a coffee shop somewhere. Hey, where you got no common sense? Right? Fix it. There's time people are just sitting around. Anybody, I sent this to my son the other day. A, a text. So listen, he, he was working on a project. And I was just reminding him, I said, look, anybody can find out what's wrong. Anyone will tell you what's hard. Anyone will tell you it can't be done. Anyone will tell you that it's, you know, it's not easy. Solve the problem. You'll be the influencer. He's in a group, group uh, study group with a bunch of you know, engineer guys. Um, I've told you about their math. It doesn't have any, letter, or any numbers. It's just letters. I don't get that kind of math. So I would have helped him none, right? So he's, he's busy working on that stuff. Um, all right, older folks. For those of you who think you're mature, maybe you're young, but you think you're mature, how about solving some problems instead of pointing out the problems? Anybody can point out a problem. Fix it. Share it. By the way, here's the other thing I've noticed. The older you get, the less the governor comes off the mouth. So there's a, there's a, there's a problem. There's a problem with that. When you do speak, how you say it is as important as what you say. When... When younger generations hear older generations complaining and carping about how, how dumb they are, how they don't lack common sense, it doesn't come across right. Could you be an encourager? Could you, instead of point out what's wrong, help people see what's right? Can we shoot that rabbit? Have I chased that one down far enough? Am I in trouble? Probably. What about window of godly counsel? You have decisions to make. Maybe you ought to seek somebody who has some common sense. Maybe you ought to seek some people who have, who have godly insights. There's oftentimes, there's, there's people I say, listen, I need to run this by you. I, tell me what you think about this. What about that? There's another window of just this whole, when it comes to decisions, this idea of, of um, spiritual growth, that sometimes the things that God takes you through um, I, I was explaining this to a friend the other day, a new friend that I met. I said, I, I, I don't trust people who don't walk with a limp. There's this, this spiritual growth in someone's life. So listen, somebody that knows everything. I mean, um, when, I, when I graduated from Bible college, I knew everything. And I, I regularly, I'd go home and tell my mom, you know, what she was right and wrong about with her theology. I, I knew everything. And, and I, went to, I went to seminary and cemetery, um, and I felt like um, 
you know, well, I'm really learning a lot. And about halfway through that, I go, I'm getting dumber every day. Um, I still thought I knew something when I came to Niles 30 years ago. I, I know absolutely nothing now. Um, I know absolutely nothing. Um, because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. You say, oh, God, help me. Help me. And some of that, that struggle of going through, how, you make, how do you make good decisions? Sometimes you make decisions... It's like the, the young banker that was talking to the old banker. He said, you, you have been a successful banker. How did you know what to do? How did you make good decisions? He said, experience. He said, you made good, ex- you, I know, I understand. You made good decisions, but you can't all this experience. How did you get experience? He said, bad, ex- bad decisions. And sometimes the things that God brings you through, the things that he's working in your life, don't try to short-circuit that. Don't cheat. Don't try to jump out of class. But go through those things. Learn the things that God wants you to know. Um, he waited, look at, look at 10 and 11. He waited more days, seven more days, sent out the dove from the ark. And the dove returned evening. There was a beak, was, a, was a, freshly, a freshly plucked olive leaf. That's hope. There's the window of hope. At some point, you say, you know what? Hope, when you've failed and you've fallen, hope is the thing that whispers, get it back up again. It's like, oh, this has been raining for a long time. We've been in this ark for a long time. Here comes a bird. A bird with one leaf, an olive branch. There's some hope there. To have this understanding, how am I going to make good decisions? No, not everything is fatalistic. Not everything is bad. I believe the gates of hell won't prevail in the church. I think the history or the future for the church is pretty good. I think God's, God's plan for you is like, in fact, you know what he said about the people that were in the ark? He wants them to multiply. He wants them to, to, to increase in number. He wants them to, to be fruitful in, in the land. God has a good plan, a good idea. So there's just some, we need some hope. Notice, here's the last thing. When it comes to making decisions, you have to walk promptly through God's open door. God told Noah to open the door. The ark came to rest, Genesis 8, uh, verse 4. He said, I have a plan to bless you, be fruitful. This on-time God, who closed the door and kept them safe, now opened the door and launched them to fulfill their purpose. And when you make good decisions, you say, listen, I'm going to have to walk through this door. When God puts it in front of you, you have to make a decision to say, I believe this is the door, the open door that God's given me, and you're going to have to walk through it. You walk through it. You make that decision. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. Let me just tell you this. There's a point in time where you're going to have to walk promptly through God's open door. You're not kicking doors. You're not, you're not running around you know, trying to, to badger your will and your way. But when God opens a door, get through it. You say, well, how do I know? Well, this example. I remember several years ago, many years ago now, I was a junior, um, junior in college. Uh, my parents had come to, to the college I was at. They were visiting for some reason. They were in a hotel just adjacent to the college. And um, they were there for a night or two anyway. Um, at one point, I went over, and we were in the back hallway in the stairs of, a, of the hotel. Just my dad and I were talking. We talked about from far. I Dad, can you come talk to me? I pulled him out of the, the room with other families. I said, Dad, let's come talk. And so um, I was beating around the bush. We were talking about farm stuff, you know. And finally, I said, Dad, I've got I to say something to you. I've got to tell you this. I said, I, I said, I think, I think, I think God is leading me here on this thing, but if everything continues as it is, if, if things just continue to go, and as I sense God's leading, I think, I think, and I finally said it, I, I believe I'm going to ask Rhonda to marry me. And so, you know, he, we had the conversation, father and son, and we, we talked about all that, and he goes, well, you, you, you got to know, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure, you know, and, um, and, and honestly, I was probably in the 90s somewhere, <laughs> was absolutely 100% sure, nope, I, I mean, I remember going outside saying, God, could you put that in the sky, I want it in the western sky, can you write that in red blood? Mary Rhonda. You know what? I never saw that. I looked scripture, never saw it. 
there's a time when you make good decisions. You've got to walk promptly through God's open door. You, I walked down the aisle. I was not 100% sure. You say, you're nuts. No, I'm telling you, you think you were, you're nuts. There are very few decisions, major decisions in my life that I was 100% sure on. I remember a decision where God was calling me into ministry. I wasn't sure, but I had to walk through that door. I moved to Niles. Some of you towners say, well, I mean, I grew up here, no big deal. I moved here. Now I've lived here longer than I've ever lived in my li- anywhere in my life. I've lived here almost twice as long as I've lived anywhere in my life. This is where I raise my kids. It's my home. It's my kids who've never lived in a different town. But I wasn't sure. 100%? I remember a day when we had a 16-passenger Dodge van. Hated that thing. It was fast, though. It had a horrendous engine. Scared me because people in the church would drive it, and they didn't know how much power it had. Screeching the tires all the time. That's why we never put First Missionary Church or the church name on the side of it, because, <laughs> you know, I didn't, want, I didn't want the calls, right? So just, just be honest with you on that. I, I loaded 16 chairs, and I brought them out, and I sat them on top of this hill um, early one morning. And I went back in time for the elders to come in, whatever, elders, board members, whatever we had. I mean, we had elders. We had an elder team. We had finance team, we had trustees, we had deacons, we had missions team, women's team. I, we had so many teams, nobody knew what they were doing. Um, it was so confusing. Um, anyway, I hauled those people out here. They sat down in chairs. We said, well, should we do this? Is this what God's saying to us? We talked, we prayed. Nobody's 100% sure. You know what? I think in order to walk promptly through God's open doors, it still takes faith in life to accomplish what God's called you to do. I told my wife between services, I'm 100% sure now. <laughs> I'm 100% sure. But it wasn't until after the fact. So there's a point in time where one of the things Noah did was, he said, finally, at some point, and, and here's often what happens. He said, God, here's the decision I'm going to make, and unless you change me, unless you, I'm going to push my boat away from the shore. Here's a word picture for it. I'm going to push my, my boat away from the, from the shore. I'm in the boat. Here's what I believe you're calling me to do. God, you're the rudder. You direct this thing. I'm going to be responsible enough to lift the sail, and your Holy Spirit's going to have to push this thing wherever it goes. But God, I'm trusting you, but I'm going to get in the boat. There's sometimes, sometimes you've got to get in the boat and let God direct you, and sometimes you've got to get out of the boat like Peter did and walk on the water. I don't care what it is. If you're going to make a good decision, it's going to require some faith. That was a part of Noah's um, tools in the toolbox as he had faith. All right, my time's up. I'm done. Team, come help me. Can I? There's things when we face decisions in life. Actually, I I want you just to show those four things one more time. Here's the things that help us in making good decision. At some point, you're going to have to, if you're going to make decisions in your life, you're going to have to, you're going to have to say, God, I'm going to follow your lead on this thing. At some point, you're going to have to start taking some steps to accomplish that and say, Lord, here's your word, here's your will. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to know, I'm going to do what I know. I'm going to wait on you. I'm not going to kick through a bunch of doors. I'm going to wait on you, but I'm going to wait actively. If a door is closed, I'm looking for windows. And then finally, when I see an opportunity, and God, I sense this, and you've given me peace, and you've given me some direction, I, maybe I've sought the counsel of others, I'm going to have faith, and I'm going I'm to make a decision. I'm going I'm to march on. It's taking what we know and applying it where we live. Now let me just end with the gospel. You see, the picture of that boat, some people say, well, that was confining year. A whole year. You've got to hang out on a, a boat. Bet that stunk. 
I mean, depending on what level you were at, you know, you know, how come the monkeys get the top level? I mean, think about it. You know, I, I'm, I'm in prisoner in this boat. No, I'm saved because of the provision of God. Jesus Christ came. He died for us. That is the provision for us. You say, listen, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Um, live like I lived. He said, oh, that's confining. No, that's freedom. Those whom the Lord has set free are free indeed. There's nothing like following God's word, making decisions based on who he is and what he said. Not only, not only is there a little peace in this life, oh, it'll cause you some problems, but there's peace in this life. But you and I, can I remind you, we're living for the future too. We're, king, we're, we're part of two kingdoms, the kingdom of this, this world. We're, you know, we're citizens here, but we are citizens in an eternal kingdom. And anything that we experience here will be far outweighed by the glory that we'll have someday. Make good decisions. Make good decisions. You can trust Him. You can trust Him with your life. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.